that emotion of anger, bitterness, or whatever emotions would have been behind the negative, they kind of fester in the child. So from five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, ten-year-old. So then when the child gets old enough to perceive what was done to them was wrong, it's that moment that, say, for instance, they're at a friend's house and I'm going to use molestation for an example. They're, they're at a friend's house. They're older now. And say the dad comes out and he touches the girl's shoulder as he walks by. Well, that touch will trigger the memory of what happened to her when she was five years old when her parents let her stay at a friend's house. And then all of a sudden, all those emotions that should have triggered, that didn't trigger, come flooding in at one time and it can cause chaos in the mind because the mind's remembering what happened and now it's trying to catch up with the data and it just sends the mind into a shock mode. Has anyone ever experienced what I'm talking about or can you, can you catch what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, so the memory, the memory is very important, but what you fill your memory with will play a big part in your emotional status. And then your dreams, your dreams. Um, if you had a, a bad day, say one person frustrated you and you replay that over and over and over and over again in your head, uh, eventually when you fall asleep, what normally happens? We end up dreaming about the same thing that happened that day. And in that dream, more details can come out or, or however it works depending on the circumstances. But if you get my point now, what I mean, that when you have dreams or imagination, it's only pulling data that's already in the data bank. Um, now, Tina asked the question at the last class, uh, which was Wednesday night, I believe it was, about does this tie into astral projection out-of-body experiences? Um, so, so, Tina, if I ask you to remember <laughs> remember what high school you went to, could you remember that? Sure. Okay. If if I ask you who was your first bell teacher, do you remember that? No. <laughs> you don't remember? How about second bell teacher? <laughs> no. I remember, I remember classes. I do remember classes. Uh, okay. Particularly, my last year was just driver's ed. Do you remember your teacher's name? I don't. It was a man. I don't remember okay. his name. Okay. So here's the interesting thing about Tina's situation, and we're not going to do this right now. I'm just showing you how deep the mind works. So Tina has these vague memories, but everything that she saw and experienced is in that database. So. Consciously, she can't remember that teacher's name, but if I drill her conscious to tap into her subconscious, I can get her to go deep in herself, see that man again, walk in that class again, hear that man's name, and then bring her back to herself and say, what's the man's name? And then randomly, all of a sudden, she will remember. Uh, to make it a little bit more where we all can get it, we all have this experience sometimes where we're having a general conversation, and we say, well, you know, um, um, shoot, what's his name? 
What's his name? And you honestly don't remember, but you know you know the name, but you can't remember at that moment. Then when you stop talking about it, all of a sudden, like a flash of lightning, the name is spoken inside your, kind of in your head or inside of you. Bobby. That's his name, Bobby. You remember Bobby. Everybody had that experience before, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And the, re- and the reason why it comes in a flash like that is because it's not coming from the conscious. It's coming from something deeper that holds all the data. Um, I gave you all an exercise a few months ago where I told you to look at an object in the room, which we all did. And I told you to think about that object, which we all did. And then I told you to think about that, which is thinking about the object. And I remember it because Tina bust out laughing. And she said, that's, that's, what a, that's a deep thing to think about, to think about the thing that's thinking about the thing. And, and we did that to show that the mind and who you are are two separate things. And if we would learn how to utilize the mind, um, yeah, yeah. So one more question, and then we'll get into these scriptures. Uh, and Sister Jayha, I'll, I'll start with you. In your opinion, what is the main thing needed to create a memory? Experience. Okay, experience. The experience. Experience. Okay, so... Same way with Sister Samaya. You remember the high school you went to, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, 12th grade year, do you remember that? Yeah. Did you experience it? Yeah, I had you. Okay, okay, okay. okay. But you, but you experience. You experience. I'm going by your answer that you just said. To create the memory, you have to have an experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, in your 12th grade year, who was your first bell teacher? My first what? Your first bell teacher. Who was it? Mrs. McCarthy. Mrs. McCarthy. Now, what about second bell teacher? Uh, that one I don't remember. But you had this experience. Mm-hmm. You went, you went to second bell every day you was at school, so you experienced it, right? So you right. should be able to remember. <clears throat> Who was your third bell teacher? Well, first of all, it wasn't, it wasn't set up like that. It was a technical school, so I went to school. Part of the part of the day, and then I work went to work afterwards. Okay, how many bells did you have? Basically two. Okay, so you remember Mrs. McCartney, but you can't remember that second teacher, even though you know what you don't know, even though you don't know that you know. Right. Okay. So before you answer me, I'm gonna say this. The reason why Mrs. McCartney stands out to you beyond the second teacher is because there must have been some type of deeper experience with Ms. McCartney you didn't have with that other teacher that makes Ms. McCartney stand out to you. Did you have an experience very with Ms. So. McCartney? Very, very much so. She was the teacher that after I had you, um, I didn't go back to school right away. And one day I was uh, I was uh, kind of frustrated because you kept crying, 
and you wasn't wet, you wasn't hungry, you just kept crying. My first baby, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I, I'm trying to get you to stop crying, and there's a knock at the door. And when I looked out the people, it was Mrs. McCarthy with a big stack of books and papers. And she came in, you know, we said our highs and everything. I invited her in, and she put all those books on the table. And I, I tried to get her to to, uh, to hold you and look at you, and she was like, that is so real nice. He's so cute. But this is what we going to do. She said, you see all of that? That's what you got to do to get caught up. Get it done. <laughs> get her done. Got you. So, uh-huh. So, Ms. McCarthy left a lasting impression on the conscience. Yeah. That all I had to do was say first bell teacher and bam, pops up. She's in that database. And the reason why she's in the database and the other teacher who's also in that database, but you can't recall him unless I probe you subconscious to make it come up, it comes down to this. Memory, when it comes to your memory bank, how detailed it is and how undetailed it is depends on your focus, attention. So things can happen around you, but if your attention is not on the matter that's happening, you will have vague details of the memory. But if your full attention was fully aware of what was going on at that moment and it affected you, it is engraved into your conscious as a memory that you it doesn't take much to pull it off the database. Make sense? Mm-hmm. So let's bring that understanding to spirituality. When you are alone with Allah in your prayer pad or just talking to Allah, if you are talking but your attention and your focus is not part of what you're doing, Allah will show you things, tell you things, but you will not consciously remember it because you weren't fully there. If you're praying but thinking about what you're going to eat for dinner when the prayer is over, you're there but you're not there. Have you ever been out with someone, whether boyfriend, girlfriend, or just a friend, and you're having a deep conversation with this person, but attention-wise, it's very evident that they're not there. They're saying, mm-hmm, yeah, really, yeah, but you really know that they hear you, but they don't hear you, and it feels like you're having a conversation to you by yourself. Am I the only yeah. one that ever has to experience that with people? <laughs> no, no, you're not the only one. Yeah. And believe it or not, I get that a lot. It's just to the point now in my life where when I talk, especially it's on spiritual matters. If I'm talking to somebody, say you ask me a question, and y'all know once you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you how the apple reached this and that and that, I'm going to go deep with it. I'm not going to just give a vague answer. So at some point, the person tunes out. You're saying, yeah, that's deep. Oh, wow. But in my heart, I know you're not listening to a word that I'm saying, so I'll just randomly stop talking. Or anymore, I'll say stupid stuff. Just to prove a point. I love dog food. Mm-hmm. You love yeah. what? I'm saying, like, if I'm in a conversation with somebody and I know they're not listening, I'll just start saying weird stuff. Just, just fruit point. Like, I like dog food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recently, what I'm going to tell you, I recently did this to somebody. They asked me a spiritual question. 
I gave them an intense answer, and I think within seven minutes of the conversation, they chilled out on me. So this is what I started to say. I said, you know what? I went to Walmart one day, and I saw this little boy, and he picked up the CD, and I told him, put it down. Leave it. Leave it. Just leave it. That's what I told him. I said, leave it. Leave it. And I just kept saying it. And they, mm-hmm, yeah. So I said, you know, and then I walked away and I went back and I saw that boy and I told him, leave it. <laughs> leave it. So I did this sister survive for about 30 minutes straight. Just kept saying, leave it. Leave it. And finally, when the person's attention came back to me, they stopped me and they said, if you say leave it one more time, I said, well, I've been saying it for 30 minutes and you just now called on which means that there was a gap of attention that was not here. So where did you go? And the person admitted to me that they started thinking about something else and something, something, something. But it, it goes to show that physically you can be somewhere, but mentally you can be somewhere else. Hence, yes. how back, mm-hmm. to, back to spirituality, this is how God will work with you sometimes. You physically be with somebody, but mentally God has taken you somewhere else to give you revelation about the person you are in front of. So you hear them, you see them, but mentally I am checked out to a whole different world where I hear everything you're saying, but everything you're saying I'm hearing from a different perception because I'm not on that I'm not at level one with you. I'm up at level five right now. You still on level one, so I hear you, but my 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 audio perception and my visual perception is at a heightened height right now, so I hear your words, but I hear the words behind your words. Makes sense. So so uh, again, if we learn our mental state especially when dealing with other people, if you can keep your mental state higher than the mental state of the person you're engaging, you'll find out a whole lot of stuff that you previously didn't know about this person, and you'll figure it out. Not because it's just you're that smart, but because when your perception and your awareness is operating on a higher dimension, you see things differently than you would from the lower dimensions. And Instead of saying dimension, let me use the word vibration. When I'm vibrating higher than the person that I'm dealing with, I'm going to see some things that I normally wouldn't see if I was down on that frequency with them. So with that said, look at Matthew 15. So I have a comment. Go ahead, Sister Samaya. So I used to have this saying that I take no credit for, but... The saying was, wherever you are, be there. <laughs> that, that, and that's so true. That's so true. Uh, and I just said something similar to somebody yesterday like that. I, I told them, instead of worrying about your past and instead of trying to figure out the future, be in the now. Just be right here. Right. Right. Nothing we, nothing we can do about what happened yesterday. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, so all you can do is deal with right now. Absolutely. But because our, we have been conditioned to live in a society where our minds are either in the past or our minds are concerned about our future, we are missing so much of what's happening right now. 
So our awareness is not here. Our awareness is everywhere but where it needs to be. So therefore, when God tries to communicate with us, rather do himself, an angel, a prophet, whatever the case may be, we miss those moments because we are not aware of our surroundings because our minds are other places. And if we struggle to believe that a person can be in a place but unaware of what's going on around them, just get your car and drive down the street one day and watch how many people are walking down the street and they're, they're, they're on their phone. But they're walking down the street, but they're engaged in that phone. Yes. Okay, look how many people are driving and they're engaged in their phone at the same time that they're driving. So they're there, but mentally they're not in that moment. They are doing something else with their minds that will cause them to not be aware. By not being aware, they if the memory had to be pulled, the details would be very vague because my conscious awareness was on something else, not the overall event that took place. Okay? So, so can, that, I make, can I make one more comment? Go ahead. Go ahead. So when I think about the programming of society and all the things that have been introduced to us, if you remember, there was a period of time, I think it may have been about maybe 15 years ago, when the term multitasking was introduced. And, right and that, was, that was supposed to be a favorable skill. And on these jobs and everything, you, were, you had to learn how to multitask. And that right. spilled over into our normal lives. And so I think we're just at a place now where we – we may not be able to focus as well. That's why we need meditation and other things to be able mm-hmm. to train our minds to go back to that because mm-hmm. uh, they're now learning that it's better to concentrate on one thing at a time versus multitasking. But multitasking is so universal now. Right, right. You right. own it right there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, and then speaking from a person who was diagnosed ADHD, I can tell you those who are ADD, ADHD, the way our minds work, it would almost seem impossible to keep the mind in one place because you'll be looking at the wall, but then your mind goes from the wall to the dot on the ceiling. Then from the dot on the ceiling, you look at the the border on the wall. Then from the border on the wall, you start thinking about the door and uh, ADHD, ADD, people mind, it is just, if you, can imagine that, if you can imagine the hamster in the hamster wheel where he's just running faster and faster, but he ain't going nowhere, but in his mind, he really thinks he's running somewhere, that, that's the mind of an ADD, ADAD person. It's just running nonstop. So God had to teach me how to take focus and take that energy and harness it to, to, to focus on one thing. So meditation comes into a, a, uh, a, a, a big help, big help. Now, once we teach on meditation, I will say this now, and, and when we get to meditation, I'll go deeper on it. One thing about meditation that they try to teach us, and it, it is kind of a handicap because it actually takes away from the meditation experience that you should have but your talk, clear your mind. Clear your mind. Breathe and just let all the thoughts go. 
So what happens is it frustrates the person because the person then tries this technique, going in the door thinking they're going to clear their mind, but in reality, you can't, you cannot cut the mind off. It just, it doesn't work. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't cut off. But what you learn to do in meditation is visualization. Visualization, as I said on uh, Wednesday, deals with the imagination. Now, here's where it gets tricky. I said again, you can only imagine things that are stored in the database. So you can only create more thought forms. So let me give you an example. Say you go sit down to meditate. Lay down however you go into your deep mode set. Um, And you think about a forest. You're sitting on a rock in a forest. It's very simple to come about because most of us have either seen forests on TV or we've been to them ourselves. So say in your visualization, you're walking through a forest. Now, as you're walking through the forest, all of a sudden, in your imagination, you see this tall being with a lion's head, body of a man, feet like a bear. I'm just giving an example. Now, here's where you need to understand. You've never seen nothing like that. So for this thought form to now be in your visualization or your imagination, this is the part that we miss. You have now crossed from visualization to now you are in a trance-like moment where other thought form beings are able to now interact with you in this imaginatory world. And this is how visions happen. Now, again, because church has made it so out there and supernatural and you got to speak in tongues for an hour, it's not that complicated to put yourself into a vision state. Sometimes visions will come uh, spontaneously, and then there's other times where you can put yourself in a mental state to open yourself up to go into a visionary state. And when you know you're in a visionary state is when you start having thought forms in your imagination that you've never experienced. That's where you know you've crossed over because you you never experienced this person. You've never seen this person a day in your life, but this person showed up in your daydream and told you, go left today, don't go right. So then we come out the experience, but we talk ourselves out of it because we say, oh, that was just my imagination. Make sure what I just said. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. So go ahead, Tina. What were you about to say? No, I just said yes. Oh, Okay. So, Matthew 15. And then, Sister Jayha, can you read just verse 8, please? This people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Okay, so if you read the context of this, this is where Jesus was addressing Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was a back-and-forth question on religious things, and Jesus made the statement, Isaiah spoke well of you when he said, these people worship me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. Now, keep in mind, heart is interchangeable with mind. So Jesus quoted a saying from the prophet Isaiah, which we're going to look at here in just a minute, where it is said that 
the people worshiped God with their mouth, but their minds were far from him. So based on God's viewpoint, yes, you can worship God with your mouth. You can go through all the actions, but mentally, there's no connection. Kind of going back to what I brought up about when you're sitting at the table having a conversation with somebody that's there, but mentally they're not there with you, so you're having a conversation by yourself. So go to Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29, and we won't read the whole chapter, but you can read it in your own time. And in this chapter, God is telling the prophet once again about Israel's mishaps and their their backsliding ways and the things that they did. So the part we're going to pick up on is where God tells Isaiah to go give these people a word. And that word is, verse, we're going to start in verse 6, where God says through the prophet, you shall be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and earthquake and with great noise and storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire and the multitudes of all nations that fight against Ariel, even that fight against her and her mutants, and that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall be as when a hungry man dreameth, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Stop there. Has any of you ever had a dream of uh, being hungry or, or thirsty or something, or in need of something, and dreamed you got it, but then when you woke up, you realized it was a dream, and it was that moment of feeling empty, like, oh, it was just a dream. And it doesn't necessarily have to be food or drink. It could be anything that the dream felt so real that you thought you really, it really was going on, and then when you woke up, you realized it was just a dream. I, I have a comment. Go ahead. It, it, it might be TMI, but never be, <laughs> never be in water in your dream and feel like you have to pee and, and actually do it. Because you will wake up and you have peed on yourself. I have I have dreamt of getting up and going to the bathroom and and peeing, and then when I wake up, I ain't been nowhere. Okay. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> now I have had that happen, but I caught myself. <laughs> you know, it, it woke me up. So, yeah, I can, I can imagine that. <laughs> I please, yeah. No, I'll play. I'll play. I'll play. <laughs> okay. You know, you think you're somewhere this. you're not. It's so real. You think you're somewhere where you're not. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, check <laughs> that out. I'm going to take what Peter just said. It seems so real that you're there, but you're not. Now, think about this. That's. We're describing right now being asleep in a dream-like state that is so real that you wet yourself. That you thought you really went to the toilet. You felt the toilet under you and everything. Everything. You felt the floor when you you walked across it. You felt the sensation of relief. You heard the water. 
You heard all that. You heard it all. It seems so real. But then you wake up to being cold. Cold. It's just cold all of a sudden. Why is it cold and uncomfortable? <laughs> Told you I believe the fifth, and I give you enough details to let you know. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so think of this. That's in a dream state. Conscious. So think if you can put yourself in such a state but be very conscious of it. You're not asleep. You're very much awake, but you trick your body into thinking that it's sleep. Therefore, the mind goes into its beta mode because the mind doesn't know, is he asleep, is he not asleep? That's not how the mind works. If the body shuts off, the mind goes into sleep mode. Kind of like if you leave your computer on for so long, the computer doesn't know, oh, he's just sitting there writing. He's still using me, though. So the computer doesn't know that. If you don't move that mouse or type a key, uh, a key, computer goes into sleep mode. And then when it goes into sleep mode, the screen shuts off. But the computer's still running. Just waiting for you to move the mouse again. So think of your body that same way. Once the, once the computer system shuts down, the CPU is still running, the program is still running, but the body went into sleep mode. And the moment your body goes into sleep mode or the mind thinks it's sleep, the mind clicks over to delta or data. So theta. I said delta, but theta. Theta is the brainwave where you have visions, dreams, and trances, and things like that. So imagine doing what Tina just described, or what Jaha just described, and let me say it a different way, because I'm not encouraging us to go wet ourselves just to see if we can. <laughs> but <laughs> you get my point I made. That if you could have that real sensation as though I was really there, it really happened, but yet be fully awake and in control over what's going on, can you imagine the experiences you could have once you figured out how to make your mind go up to space like this? Okay. So he goes on and it says, and his soul is empty. So when he is thirsty, or, or as when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul has appetite. So shall the multitude of the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. Stay yourself and wonder. Cry ye out loud and cry. They are drunken, but without wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured upon you the spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, have he covered. Now, before I read the next verse, understand that now the prophet is now proclaiming to the people who have continuously ignored what God has said, he's now detailing to them, detailing to them, should I say, what's going on. You can't hear God. You can't see the revelations of God. Because over your eyes, there is a cover. God has allowed you to go into a sleep-like a sleep state. So verse 11, and the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee, 
And he said, I cannot, for it is still. Now, verse 12. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, read this, I pray thee. And he says, I am not learned. Wherefore, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near to me with their mouth, and with their lips they honor me, but they have removed their heart, a.k.a. mind, far from me. And their fear toward me is taught by the precepts of men. So in other words, what God is saying through the prophet is, you are, your hearts are so far from God. Your minds are so far from God. Now, he's saying that, <laughs> let, me say, let me say this first. You can only experience something with your mind. Yes, you have five senses. Yes, we have sight, touching, and all this. But without the mind being able to interpret those emotions, those feelings, those perceptions, you, you, you're just going through experiences, but you, you have nothing to make you understand that experience. So what Allah is saying is when a person deals with him and their mind's not in it, it's as uh, 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 if you look at the last part where he says their fear toward me is taught by the perception of men. Fear meaning reverence. Taqwa as we call it in the Quran. Allah says you can't really have an experience with me because you're your minds are so shut off from me that the only experience you know is what other men told you about me. You've never had the experience one-on-one with me. Make sense what I'm, how I'm explaining this. Yeah. So, so our, yeah. Minds, our minds have to be engaged with this. It can't just be, you know, an outward thing. Our minds, our words, our actions have to be engaged with this person we call the God. We say we believe in him. Many people do. Um, I, there's a statement that I make. People get offended for some reason, but people say, oh, you know, I believe in God. Okay, the devil do too. What makes you any better? And for whatever reason, that offends people, so I stop saying this much because they think it like I'm saying they're a devil. Not saying people are devils, but I'm saying what 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 honors what brownie points do we want to say, I believe God? Bible says even the devils believe too. I don't want to know if people believe God. Do you know God? Have you had an experience with God? Is there any way anybody can make you question or doubt this God that you serve? Now, if you've never had an experience with him, you're on shaky ground. But when you have an experience with God, you know that 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 this person is real. And whether you want to believe it or not, that's that's between you and him. But for me and my house, we're going to serve this Lord. So now I want you to go over to Sword 95. So if you read the whole context, God was telling Israel because of their blindness and their absence of focusness within their minds that God would then have to Fill the book. And if you lie in the Quran, Allah says, ask for the disbeliever. And remember, a disbeliever is not someone who just doesn't believe. Definition of a disbeliever is someone who knows the truth, 
but refuses to conform to that truth. So when a person knows what the Bible says versus what the Bible doesn't say, but that's not the way my grandma taught that to me, and that's not the way my family believes, you are a disbeliever. You know that that's not scriptural to believe such a thing or to even practice such a thing, but because that's what your church does and that's what your family does, this is the way I see it. Regardless of what the book says, this is how I interpret it, this is what I see. That puts the person in the bracket of a disbeliever. So God says, as for the disbelief, those who know the truth, but outright deny it because it doesn't conform to what they want, whether you warn them or you warn them not, it's the same for them. They're not going to believe because Allah has filled their hearing. And God has put a covering over their eyes and their minds. And so Allah tells us in the Quran when it comes to that group of people, no matter how much you try to get into their minds to get them to see this, they're not going to see it because they already see it, but it doesn't conform to what they want, so they're going to deny it. So this is why Allah says it's, it's the same. Whether you tell them or whether you don't tell them, they're not going to believe. So God told Israel, because of this faith they were in, one would have to come who didn't know anything about the revelation. So in 29, verse 1, what's it say, Sister Jehad? I'm sorry, 95, verse 1, what's it say? By the fig and the olive, by Mount Sinai, and by his land may say, by this land may say, truly we can. You in 90, you in 90, you in 90, okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Surely we created man of the best stature. Then we reduce him to the lowest of the low. Save those who believe and do good work, and there is a reward unfailing. Okay, so stop who, there. Stop there. Go back up to verse 4. Surely we created man of the best stature. And then read 5 one more time. Then we reduce him to the lowest of the low. Okay, those two verses there. And you had to break that down for Jehai in your own thinking. What is he saying? He made them, he made man great. And then, then brought him down low. Okay, okay. But to somebody, you agree with that? Is that, is that what it's saying to you, the God's prayer? Uh, well, I, I think that we were that we were created in the best stature as it says, but I think also because of our nature, maybe, or, I mean, we have a a higher nature and a lower nature, and we kind of have to find ourselves, so 
I think in that way that that is like a reduction to what we truly and really are. <laughs> that okay. makes sense. Okay. Makes sense, yes. Makes sense. And then, <laughs> listen, you want to say anything on this? Mm-mm. No, I'm agreeing. This is this is answering some questions on confirming some things about myself. I gotta do more meditation for sure. But I, yeah, no. Got to, got Okay, so it is clear that Allah said, "I created man in the highest stature, best stature." Then I reduced it. So here's the question that we got to think about: What? was it that caused man to be reduced? And the order to understand is you got to go back to the first man. So from your memory, Sister Jehai, what separated the first man from the rest of creation? What separated man from the rest of the creation? Let, let me ask it a different way. What made man more unique than the rest of creation? Uh, God gave him the ability to uh, think and okay. So, so stop there, stop there, stop there. Okay, stop there. I'm gonna ask you a question on that. Um, you have two two female cats over there. I'm gonna call them what's the word? Feline. Eli. Okay. You got two okay. over there. Do they think? Have you ever watched either one of them sit and ponder and think before they acted? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, so, what makes us different than them? They think like we think. So, thinking. Okay, let me let me rephrase my let me rephrase my answer. I I used the word think, but what I was trying to what I was trying to say is he gave us free will. Okay, Paul, Paul, Paul. Between those two cats you got, can they choose to go to that litter box or can they choose to pee on the floor? You know they can. So, and they know I'm, gonna, I'm looking for the culprit. <laughs> so, if we say free will, do they have free will? Uh, I say yes. I say I yes. They have free will. I'm being a parrot because I'm repeating I'm repeating the analogy of God's words when he when he calls man his greatest creation. Right on. Right on. But in that same book, God tells you, and which I'm getting ready to tell us, what makes us so unique above all creation. Oh, I have a here, but it's I, for us. Go ahead. Go ahead. I have a comment. One of the things that um, I've read in the Bible is that it says, "Come, let us reason together." Okay. You can't reason. Okay. You can't reason with an animal. Right. 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 
freezing me, though. Reason needs to give consideration and thought to um, and to come to some kind of understanding. Okay, okay, all right. And is this Melissa, what are you trying to say? Well, you know, I'm very partial to animals, and I would agree. There may be some animals you can't reason with, but one day I was walking into J.C. Penney's, and it was one of those geese, and we all know how the geese are. And the male geese, he be going around hollering at everybody. We don't know he's hollering at us, but he's hollering at us. So I stopped and looked at him, and I said, I'm not here to harm your family. I'm just trying to cross the road. He turned around and ignored me. Like I was uh, just some of his, one of his kids and went on dealing with the other people. And I walked across the road right in the middle of him and his family. So I think it just depends on the reason. Now, I think I see knew what you were saying. <laughs> so now, he was trying to understand. The word reason in Merriam-Webster's dictionary comes back to this definition. It is the power of comprehending inferring, or thinking especially in orderly, rational ways to be intelligent, the proper exercise of the mind. So, to get straight to the point here, what makes man more unique than all creation of the universe, Allah told us, is knowledge. Knowledge. We, not only are we thinking creatures, not only can we reason and figure things out, but we can retain information. So if you remember in Sora 2, when God tells us about the creation of man, God asked the angel a question. Tell me what these are. And the angel's answer, you know we don't know the answers of that because you never taught us the knowledge of that. Only you know these things. We, we only know what you have told us. So he presents Adam. And in and, and the verse before this, it says, And God taught man the name of all things. So while I'm talking, I want you to go to Sora 96. God taught man the name of all things. So he brings Adam in front of these beautiful heavenly beings that are way older than us that are way more powerful than us when it comes to supernatural, I'll use the word supernatural, supernatural ability. And he said, Adam, educate them on the names of these objects. And Adam begins to educate the angels. And the angels are baffled that God has created such a creature that can just blob off at the mouth with knowledge like this that only Allah would know. So, so, so this is why when you get into the study of angels from the biblical point of view, and, and a lot of times Christians don't like to deal with this subject because it then they feel like it it, it demotes angels. It, it takes away the ooh and the ah of angels, but it really doesn't when you understand your place as a as, as a as a creature of God in this earth. So in the Bible it says, one, angels are servants to us, waiting for our command. Now, the way the church treat angels, you would think we would be the angel servants and we wait for them to tell us what to do. But according to what Scripture
scripture tells us is that they are servants to us, waiting for us to tell them what to do. But the key is they only operate on the commands of God. So I can't tell my angels to do things that have not already been authorized by the sovereign Lord. If I speak God's words, then the angels have to obey me. If I speak out of my own self, they do not have to. Okay, number two, the Bible says that the angels are very curious about our species because we are very unique to them. We're, we're weird. I'm, and that Bible doesn't say weird. That's just me saying it, being funny. We're, we're kind of weird to them. It, have you ever heard of an animal or something that's weird and it just gets your attention to just want to see it and just understand it, how, how something like this could be alive? Uh, 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 I recently saw a midget bull, a midget bull. It was a full-grown bull, but he was a midget, and it was just intriguing to just <laughs> look at this bull that was a midget, because I, I never knew that animals had midgets. I thought that was just something amongst the humans. I never knew that animals could have uh, growth, uh, not growth, uh, growth studs. This was a full-grown bull. He was muscular and everything, but he was a midget, and it was just intriguing. So I, I give that illustration to show how the Bible describes angels being intrigued with us, that they, they want to be involved in our lives. Not necessarily on an experiment level, but because we are so interesting and so unique to them because they love to be around us. They love to watch us and observe us because we, 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 we are close to them, but you get what I'm saying. There are things that we can do that the angels can't do, and there are things that the angels can do that we can't do. So we're both intrigued with each other. But it comes down to this word, knowledge. So in, in Psalms 96, not Psalms 96, Quran 96, verse 1, <laughs> Jehad. Read in the name of thy Lord who created, created man from a clot. Read, and thy Lord is the most bounteous, who teaches by the pen. Teach of man that which he knew not. No, but verily man is rebellious, that he think of himself independent. Unto thy Lord is the return. Okay. Thou seen? So, you can stop there. So one, and, and if you don't know or don't remember, out of all the sorrows ever written, this is the number one. So we had to put the Quran in chronological order. This would be chapter one, because this is the first revelation given to the prophet. Read. Read. So so we now live in a society where we don't read no more, correct? Okay. I, I shouldn't say we. I shouldn't say we. The majority of people do not read anymore. Everything's electronic. We don't even write our own signature anymore. We take our finger and we write it on the tablet. We scribble it with our finger on the tablet. We don't even pick up pens anymore. We just, there we go. So the importance of reading, Allah emphasizes this. Now notice the other thing it says. It says here that Allah taught man. 
Not only does it mention that Allah taught man, but it also brings up teaching man with a pen. So I'm not gonna get into this part today, but where where did where did we learn how to write at? Where did we learn how to read at? Where did we learn all the skills that we have today? It did not just happen. Somebody taught mankind this stuff, which then taught the next. And if, if we can't believe that reading and writing can be taught, then how did we figure it out? And what was the purpose of being in school for 12 years when we learned all this stuff? So all right. generation after generation has taught the next generation how to read and write. But if we go backwards in time, the first man who learned how to read and to write, we have to accept the fact that he was taught by heavenly beings how to do this. So us having knowledge is very important uh, to Allah because if you don't have knowledge, you just don't know. So what does this have to do with dreams? Because most of us have dreams, and that's about all they are. They're dreams. We think no more of it. We might talk about it during the day and say, oh, I had a weird dream last night. But without having knowledge of dreams, dreams, um, Sister, Sister Samaya, from your memory, how was Abraham guided for the most part? How was he guided? Yes. Uh, ooh. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Through his dreams? Through dreams. Meditation? Prayer? Yeah. Through, mm-hmm. through dreams. Okay. So when, 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 when God spoke to him about uh, taking his son, and we know the story about what happened with the son. If you read the story, it came to him by a dream to do that. When Abraham was taken out and told him, look at the stars and all this, so shall your seed be. It was a dream. Okay, uh, uh, David, when you read David's story, David was guided for the most part of how to be one of the greatest kings through dreams. Solomon, through dreams. So you all remember the story in the Bible where God came to Solomon and asked Solomon, tell me anything you want. You can have anything you want from me. And Solomon asked, give me all the wisdom. Everybody remember that story in the Bible, right? But when you, right. don't, read the fine, when you don't read the fine details, you don't realize that this experience that we read about of God coming to Solomon and telling Solomon to ask me for anything you don't realize it was a dream. Solomon had a dream that God came to him and told him, you could have anything you want. What do you want? And Solomon's response to his dream was, I want wisdom. And from that dream, it, it triggered something in this man to be the greatest ruler that has ever fell on the throne that built an empire. But he was guided by dreams. Jesus, guided by dreams and visions, uh, and mainly in Jesus' ministry, outside of dreams, Jesus seems to operate with this outright intuition. He just always seemed to know what people were thinking. He always seemed to know what was getting ready, what they were getting ready to try to do next by intuition. So rather it be through dreams or intuition, this is an important factor in the believer's life, but if we don't have knowledge of the, our dream state, we would be at a loss not realizing when God's talking to us through dreams. Again, when God talks through dreams, it's not always 
fire and bushes and curtains catching on fire. It could be the simplest dream you have that God is giving you guidance in. But again, if we don't understand the dream, we 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 just are at a state of loss. Okay? Questions, comments before we move on. Okay, so when it comes to knowledge, understand that knowledge comes directly from God. Now, all knowledge, I'm going to say this is going to be hard to accept it, but I'm going to try to explain it the best way I can. All knowledge comes directly from God. But that knowledge that comes from God can be perverted. Any thinking creature that thought it, the source of your thinking ability comes from God. Make sense? Mm-hmm. But now if I take this great gift that God has given me of thinking and I begin to use it for negative reasons, like how it says in Genesis, the imagination of the mind of man was continuously evil. So, I can take this great imagination of mine, my thinking process, and let it go rogue and start thinking evil thoughts and evil things and evil places and, and, and so on so on. Or I can utilize this gift to think positive, do positive, act positive, speak positive. But it all comes down to this word knowledge. Now, the knowledge of God comes by revelation. If you remember, I told you revelation is something that you don't have to work up. You don't have to keep begging for it. When revelation comes, it comes like a flash. It comes like a flash. So uh give you another example. When Moshe was a baby and his mama was terrified for his life, how did she know what to do with Moshe? To say, how what do you think? How, how how did Mama know what to do with Moshe? Um, I I was getting ready to say intuition, but that also would come come from God, right? Now your Quran says that when she was frantic. Now for those who don't know who I'm saying, Moshe Moses, saying his other name. Um, Quran lets it be known that when she was in a frantic. Worried about her son's life. God says he inspired her. Not in a dream, but a moment of inspiration came to her to put the baby in the basket and let it go on down the river and you'll be united with it. That's the intuition that came to that this mother. Let your baby go and I'll bring him back to you. Without no evidence, without no knowing how it's going to work, how it's going to all put to be put together. She had this thought that came out of nowhere for the safety of her son to do this act. And by following through with what her imagination showed her, we know the rest of the story of how God worked that out. Sometimes when we're going through hard times in life and we don't know what to do, that is the moment, a moment of inspiration just randomly hits you. You just know what to do, how to do it, and when to do it to get yourself out of this rut. But the information and the knowledge does not come from your own conscious. It comes from a higher source that filters through your consciousness. So 
Revelation. Um, uh, uh, go to go to um, go to Thor fifty three. Or that fifty eight. Fifty eight. Fifty eight. Fifty eight or going to fifty three. So fifty eight. Fifty eight. Oh, okay. And if that's wrong, then God God help us. You mean help I help you with your own writing? What'd you say? I said you. You said God help us. I said you mean God help you. He read your own writing. Yeah, I was being funny. Yeah, I was being funny. I know, I know. I hear you. I'm trying to wrap my head around what what I put down. I'm sorry. Hold on. <laughs> That's sad when you done wrote something down and you have to scratch your head like what? What is this? Oh. Uh, where did I tell y'all to go? 58. First you said 53, then you said 58. Okay, so so let's just go to Thor 42. Let's go to Thor 42. <laughs> Skip that one because I can't figure out what I wrote. Uh, go to Thor 42. Thor 42. So as you go to Thor, Thor 42, understand that revelation comes from God. And the way knowledge comes from God, it trickles down. I'm going to start with the highest and I'm going to go to the lowest. So number one, the highest form of knowledge is revelation. Now, when you look up the word knowledge, knowledge, by definition, let me go back to that note I made. Hold on. This is my why I'm going to this. When you hear knowledge, what 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 definition would you give for knowledge? Just in your own words. Uh, understanding of information. Understanding of information. Jay, how do you agree with that? I agree. Alicia, you agree with that? Yes, I would. Because yeah. Mm-hmm. So the dictionary definition of knowledge says that facts, information, and skills acquired by a person through experience or education. It is the practical understanding of a particular subject. So knowledge simply is, as Mr. Samaya said, understanding. But then when you put understanding facts together, uh, 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 or where you understand a particular subject, that's knowledge. So knowledge doesn't necessarily have to be about school because you're knowledgeable about science and quantum physics. Anything that you figure out and have the answer to is knowledge. And the highest form of knowledge that comes to man directly from God is called revelation. Revelation is when God unveils something to you that you previously did not know. Not something that you wouldn't open a book and figure it out. Not something that you wouldn't throw in a classroom and study by education and got it. 
This is knowledge that God gives the man or the woman directly from the throne, and you just know the facts without knowing how you know these facts. And then it amazes people, how did, how did you know that? And you can't really say nothing because you honestly didn't know it came by revelation. The next form of knowledge after revelation would be self-thinking. So if you pay attention to what I'm getting ready to do here, the highest and most purest knowledge is revelation directly from God. But then this knowledge starts to filter down, and then the next step is self-thinking. Self-thinking is where this is the person who thinks that they heard from God, and they have convinced themselves that they heard from God to go and tell Sister Jehad that she's having a lazy day today. Yeah, she's having a lazy day. I just really feel in my spirit to tell you that you are having a lazy day. Now, here's the issue. For the fact that Sister Samaya, not Samaya, but Jehai, had already testified to the fact at the beginning of class that she was just having a lazy day, and I overheard the comment, now I'm going to convince myself that God is telling me to tell her something that she's having a lazy day. Do you see my point? That's not that was not necessarily divine revelation. I heard something said, and all of a sudden I feel the need to go and say, God, 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 God gave me a word for you, Sister Jehad. And he told me to tell you, you having a lazy day today. You just relax and just take that in. You know you gotta go to work tomorrow. So you might as well just relax and just enjoy the day. Now person not paying attention, we would think, wow, that came directly from God. No. This is a person who self-taught it. Another case is a person who has pre-prepared themselves to give somebody a word when they get to church or wherever they get to zeal. Not saying God said, on my way there, say so-and-so to Felicia. No. Three days ago, I rehearsed what I was going to say to Felicia, and I practiced it. I, I made, I, I, I practiced the body movements and everything. And then when I finally see Felicia and I give her this elaborate word that I have convinced myself that I must obey and give her, uh, you you get my point on that. That's mm-hmm. self. So your Bible talks about those who God has sent to give word versus those who have deluded themselves in their mind and took themselves to give words, and God says, and I gave no authorization for them to go. So we know from the Bible and from the Quran that there are people who go out in the name of God and say that God said things when God gave no authorization to that person to even say such a thing. Now, one warning I will give, and I shouldn't call it a warning, but I will call it a warning, and I want to make it sound condemning or fearful. Um, I, let me call it a word of advice. When operating with divine knowledge, one must be very careful to follow that guidance. So in other words, if, I'm going to use Felicia for an example. If, Felicia show, if, if God shows me something about Felicia by revelation, and that's as far as it went. God showed me something about the sister. I never got a direct command to say it. I never got a direct command to even bring it up. But just because I'm excited about it and I'm going to tell her what I saw, 
and then I go and tell her I have now violated that revelation. Let me say it a different way. I violated God's secret. God told me a secret about one of his servants and did not give me a direct command to go and tell that, even if I saw it in a dream. If I don't feel inspired to say I had a dream about you, and I think I need to share this dream. No, I can write the dream down in my dream journal all day that on March the 23rd, year 1970, at 4 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened and I had a dream about I can write it down for record so when the event happens in her life, I can then go get my dream journal and say, look, I never told you about this, and I never felt led to, but look what I wrote. Now, if I have a direct command in that dream or in that moment of intuition to go and tell her this, then it would behoove me to obey that command, whether I pick up the phone, find her, meet up with her, or however, and obey God and get that word. So that's just that little word of advice when you start having uh, dreams. Now, one prophecy that the prophet gave before his death, he said, right before Jesus came back to earth, one way the believers would know that Jesus was headed headed to earth, he said that the believers' dreams would be so vivid, and they would come to pass right after they would dream it. And he said when that started happening, to know that Jesus was soon to appear. So if we pay attention, a lot of people, believer-wise, have been having a lot of dreams lately, a lot of visitations and dreams and warnings and dreams where they would deem the dream as weird, and then it becomes even more scarier when they watch what they dream happen in front of them. So we are watching this unfold of believers' dreams becoming more and more vivid. And uh, if you pay attention to your own dreams and start taking note of them, you'll notice that your dreams are actually becoming more and more vivid right now. And then some of us who struggle to remember our dreams, I won't get into that part just yet. I won't get into that part just yet. Okay, so after self-thinking, the next uh, level of knowledge is vain discourse. So, Jehaz, the word vain discourse, what do they mean, Jesus? Uh, causing, causing confusion for nothing. Causing confusion for nothing, okay. Sister Samaya, what does vain discourse mean to you? Um, I would say, when I think of vain, I think of self and what I look like, look at me, what I sound like, uh, I got the words, <laughs> um, whatever you're doing is, is really done for personal reasons. Um, and more for your glorification than it is for God. That's only okay, thing I okay. Up. okay. And, and while I'm talking, I want everybody to jump over to Matthew 12. This is Felicia. What does vain discourse mean to you? You purposely causing disruption on purpose. You're doing it on purpose. Okay. 
Okay. Intentionally. Okay. Okay. You got it. Okay. So, this course. What is this course? Even if you got to look it up. Even if you got to look it up. what What is this course? Confusion. Okay, so J-Hop is, the discourse is, confusion. Okay. Now, dictionary. what makes you, wait a minute, wait a minute, somebody, what makes you think that discourse is confusion? It is confusion, but is it the confusion because, that you're thinking? Go ahead. Be, because you're, you're, you're going against, you're going up against somebody else's, ideals, uh, the way they feel, the way they operate, and and just cause going against the grain. How about that? Okay, okay. Sister Samaya, go ahead. What were you going to say? I just looked it up, and it says written what, or spoken what, communication. Written, written or spoken, spoken communication or debate. And as a verb, it says speak or write authoritatively about a topic. Okay. So to have discourse with someone by definition is communication. Mm-hmm. Same discourse would be stupid talking. Let me say it let me say it a quantum physics way. Same discourse is using your words aimlessly to speak about stupid stuff that mean nothing that waste your energy behind the words that you are putting out about nonsense with somebody. So if you remember me telling you the other week, every word we speak has a power to it. So when I choose to operate vain discussion, vain, meaning I'm just going to talk because I can. And I don't know. I'm talking, Tina, but I really don't know what I'm talking about. I just sound intelligent and smart, so I'm just, I just don't talk and use big words and make everybody think I really know what I'm talking about. Same discourse, right? Will um, you? Go huh. ahead. Go ahead. So I've seen that in action, and the result is, and and, and no telling what what. Why they do it? <laughs> it it kind of goes back to that thing about well, why do people lie? You just lied. Why, why did you lie? Why? You know. Right, and that, right, that goes right. back to the same same thing. This vain discourse. You know, talking out of the side of your neck. But you you had you had a revelation. Right. That, right. that God only gave you. You know, right, no one, I mean, right. no, no one else has had this revelation. So then you look high and mighty, or uh, I call it. Uh, there's there's a certain narcissism to it, uh, because all eyes and attention on you. Wow, you just said something. You know, a person who doesn't question it, <laughs> right, or wants to conf- confront it. <laughs> then that's a whole different thing. So, yeah. Right, right. And I'm going to piggyback off what somebody just said. When you're dealing with someone that's operating in vain discourse, one identification that you can tell that this is crazy, 
is when they get into this, like Tina just said, God only revealed this to me. Nobody else ever got this revelation, just me. And and but but the tricky part is when they give you this so called revelation and then you go to the Bible, if that's the book you follow, and the Bible seems to contradict everything this person just said, and then you bring it to this person's attention, instead of submitting to God's word, they be, you become their enemy. You got demons and devils in you and you you can't see the bigger picture because you're blinded. And you got a spirit of deception on you, Sister Tina, and that's why you can't see this revelation. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, your best friend got value entity because you didn't want to. And it wasn't even a matter of me not wanting to receive what you said. I just had questions about what you said. But we're entities now because I didn't just bow down and say, yes, Lord, thank you for the revelation, the personal revelation that you gave my friends here, Lord. So, so they, they discord. So Matthew twelve, verse thirty three, says these words. Let me get there. So Matthew, I wish this thing would move faster. Okay, verse thirty three. Jesus says, "Either make the tree good." Or his fruit good, and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt, and his fruit corrupt. For the tree is known by its fruit. O generation of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So whatever's in your mind is going to come out your mouth. And this is why I tell people, if you just sit and talk with a person for a while and just listen to what comes out their mouth for the most part, you can figure out who a person is just by listening to them. Yeah. A good man, out of the good treasure of his of the heart, bringeth forth good things. And the evil man, out of the tre- out of the evil treasure, bringeth forth evil things. Verse 36 is what I want you to pay very close attention to. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Same discourse. We will be questioned about it. So this is why, uh, for instance, if you are in a, 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 a setting where faith Say you're with five friends, and a spiritual topic comes up about Jesus being God and how God came to earth and died and shared his love for us. And you, out of the five, are the only one who doesn't have that viewpoint. Well, this is the moment you now have to either figure out, do you participate in vain discourse? Because now for you to even chime in, and say anything with this subject is just going to be fun and games for them. So do you waste your time and your energy trying to bring people to light that you know don't want the truth, and you already know they don't want it. So it's not even a matter of, I wonder, you already know they don't want to hear what you got to say about this subject. So you have to determine, or like I always say, pick your battle. 
And yes, I will admit, it is hard sometimes to be quiet when people are saying stupid stuff about the scriptures and you know the truth and you have the knowledge to dispel this lie, but is it worth it at that moment? You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yes. And keep in mind, your words have power. So when you mingle your power with fame discourse, it drains you, it irritates you, it frustrates you. And here it was, the intention you had was to chime in the conversation to try to bring knowledge and understanding to this group. But instead, by the time the conversation is over, you're at home tossing and turning because it turned into an outright argument. Then things were said that shouldn't have been said. And then we, we just all half at it, and I, I think I lost about four friends. And so you have to be able to pick not to get involved with things discourse. People who just want to talk just to talk, but they ain't saying nothing, and they don't want to learn nothing. They just want to be seen. Those type of people I've learned, just let them talk. Let them talk, and then I play stupid like I don't know nothing. Really? He did what? Wow. Well, we're in that one question. One question I will ask is, where is that at in the Bible? And I always get that answer. Well, it ain't all, it ain't outright spelled out that way. But when you believe it by faith and ask God to reveal it to you, okay. Well, that's vain discourse. I ain't got time for that. So I let that person go on and, and, and have at it. Now, if I'm dealing with the person that I discern is 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 speaking based on all they know, and that's what they believe to be true because that's all they've been told. They're not saying all this because they want to be seen. They're not saying all this because they want to show everybody else in the group how intelligent they are and how deep they are in the scriptures. They're sincerely speaking what they know, asking, is this right, is this wrong? Can you help me? That person I won't turn away. Saying this course, I won't involve myself with. Okay, so then the next one, after vain discourse, is conjecture. And even with these levels that I just gave you, even when coming to dreams, visions, the revelations, these are the categories you have to think about even with yourself, but mainly with others outside of you that come saying that God gave them a dream about you. God did this about you. God told me to tell you that about you. I'm not saying to people out the moment they say God said to tell you. No, I listen. And listen to the words that you say to see if these words confirm anything that God has already told me. And if not, I don't make the person feel bad or make them feel like they're a false prophet. Thank you for the word, but I take that word and I put it up on my mental shelf. And if it's meant to be revisited, when, well, it's, 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 it's in the memory bank. So if I ever need to go and pull that off the shelf and remember Sister So-and-So told me, da 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 I remember that. Let me go back and recall what she said to me. Versus uh, just following any and everything. So conjecture, again, the word, by definition, is when you take a piece of the truth and a little bit of a lie, and then you mix it two together, and then you give it to somebody as the absolute truth. So, for instance, if God told me by inspiration to call Samaya one day and tell Samaya, get ready, he's getting ready to give you a new car. 
And if that's all God told me to say, that's all I can say. But now when I add my little spin to it that it's gonna be a it's gonna be a black Mercedes Benz with tinted windows, Tina, and you're gonna have some ten inch rims on it, the ones that spin when you park, and then it's gonna have music coming out the speakers, you're gonna have neon light all around the bumper. Now I'm just adding something now. God ain't saying no such thing. So I'm now took the truth, added conjecture with it, but if she doesn't know how to weave the difference between what's true and what's not, I've now misled this woman into believing that God's getting ready to give her a Mercedes Benz with all the bells and whistles on it. Make sure what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Go to uh 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 go to Sora six. And we'll come back to Sora 42, but go to Sora 6. And then, Sister Jayhad, just read verse 68, please. Where did you say go to? Sora 6, and then we're going to just isolate verse 68. And when thou seest those who meddle, with our revelations, withdraw from them until they meddle with another topic. And if the devil cause thee forget, sit not after the remembrance with the congregation of wrongdoers. Okay. So, since you know, I put that in 2021 language in your own word, what did God say to you? If they, if they, if they just, uh, Speaking a bunch of uh, lies, um, try to try to uh, try to divert the situation to something else. And if they if they just continue, just don't 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 go that go shake the dust off your feet. Keep moving, keep right. it moving. So we actually have a command by Allah not to engage with people who want to twist the scripture. I can't try to get you to change the subject, but if you're going to continue to twist God's word, I'm supposed to leave that matter alone and not engage in it. Why? Because then that's going to take me into vain discourse. Now, you got to think, even when dealing with scripture, you're dealing with a revelation. So when you start nitpicking with the revelation and taking this away and putting this in there that wasn't there before, you're, you're getting into conjecture and vain discourse around, around at about the same time. Because now this person feels authorized enough to change scriptures to fit what they wanted to say. They actually have the audacity to lie, knowing they don't say that, and then feed it to people as though this is, as Peter said, God didn't reveal this to nobody else but me. <laughs> And you know what, Peter, whoever said that, you should have just slapped them. That's what you should have done. <laughs> it's going to take a God slap to wake that person up. <laughs> okay, got to go back to Sora. Go back to Sora 42. And then we just have two last scriptures to read. We're done. Sora 42. And then Sister Jay Hodge just 
Read verse 51, please. We'll start at 51. And it was not vouchsafed to any mortal that Allah should be to speak to him unless it be by revelation or from behind a veil, or that he send up a messenger to reveal what he will by his leave. He is exalted, wise. And thus have we inspired in thee, Muhammad, a spirit of our command. Thou knewest not what the scripture was, nor what the faith. But we have made it a light whereby we guide whom we will of our bondmen. Okay, stop there. Stop there. Stop there. So, it says that Allah will speak to his servants in several ways. Way number one was how? By revelation. By revelation. Now, this is dealing with uh, when you get inspiration to do or say something in just the blink of an eye. The knowledge did not come from you. It came from a higher source. Second way is from behind the veil. Behind the veil, now this is dealing with dreams and visions. Or the third way God speaks behind the veil is when he speaks directly to you with his voice, but you see no face. And when I say the voice, I'm not talking about the voice that you hear in your head that sounds almost like how your voice sounds. I'm talking about audibly, out of the sky, or however you want to describe it. If you've ever had that experience with God where you audibly heard him talk, I can only share my experience with you because it's happened a few times in, in, in my lifetime where God has spoken audibly in the air. And it's, it's the best way I can describe it to you is it's a very powerful voice. And when I say powerful, I don't mean in the sense of scary, but it's a voice that is, is very unique, very, very different. And and when he speaks, it causes your body to kind of vibrate, it, it, almost to the point where it feels like your heart starts beating fast. Uh, you you might get a little fear, but not necessarily terrified. But you you never see, but you hear him, and you can feel the presence of God so near in the room, and his presence is usually so thick, it's like you could take a knife and cut through it. Um, and again, I know that everyone doesn't get a chance to have that experience where they can testify and say, have you heard the voice of God? I've had people ask me that, preacher. So you telling me you actually heard God's voice before? Yes. I've heard God's voice before. I know his voice. If I ever heard it again, I'd be able to tell you that's God talking. And for some reason, though, this is unbelievable. I haven't figured this out from people that is, as far as church is concerned. Why is it so hard to believe that God still talks to people? I mean, we read about such stories in the Bible about God talking to people audibly, but then when it comes to our time, we find it hard to believe that God can choose to talk to one of his servants um, outside of visions, dreams, and just intuition type stuff. Um, Sister Samaya, have you ever heard this voice that I'm talking about? 
I have not. Not. Jaha, you ever heard this voice that I'm talking about? I, I I can't say. It, it, nothing's coming to mind right right at this very moment. Okay. So Felicia, have you ever heard the voice? It's possible. Uh, okay. Okay. So let me ask the question in a different way. Now I'll go back to you, Samaya. Have you ever heard a voice coming from the other dimension in your dimension? Audibly, but nobody was there. Oh yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Be loud and clear. Okay. Be sitting sitting right here, and I heard, and I, you know, I'm, I live alone. So actually, this just now that you brought it up and worded it differently, it just brought it up. Uh, this past week, since I, you know, I was away from the house for a week, right? It was on vacation. Came back, I noticed I heard a voice. Speak it to me as if they were sitting right beside me. And I was like, ain't nobody here <laughs> in my mind. But I heard the voice, and then I said, no, I'm not losing my mind. That's someone speaking to me, or I'm hearing what's going on in another realm very clearly. And I'm right here because it wasn't, it was like they spoke to me, but they wasn't speaking to me because then I heard continuation of it. And I was like, oh, I'm actually dipping in on somebody. I'm I'm snooping on someone else's conversation because then as it continued on, I was hearing the whole plan out. And I was like, oh, that, was, that, is, that is not applicable to me. Okay. And, and, they, and they wasn't in the crawl space. They wasn't in the crawl space. I was in the dining room. And I was, I, you know, I was working on something, who knows what, but it, I remember that it, drastically caught my attention. It was like they was in the room with me. And I was like, no, how am I hearing this? And I remember that it happened to me before I left from vacation. And that's when I knew, when I first heard it before I went to vacation, I said, it's time for me to leave. I have been in here. I'm tripping and too much is going on. I got to go. So I'm thinking it would go back, you know, go away. Well, when I came back home again and it was that quiet, I heard it again. I said, okay, Lord, you have increased my senses. I I hear you. I have to be more alert and more watchful because I am a person that is easy to go straight into this. I will be there and won't come back. And then I got to remember, oh, well, what's going on here in, the, in y'all realm? What are we doing? So, I got you. you know. I got you. Sister so, 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 Tina, have you ever heard a voice but nobody was there? I I really can't say at this point. I mean, I would think that that would be something, especially if it was God. I would think that that would be such an imprint in you that you would never forget. Okay. You know? Okay. Okay. Sister Jay, I know you didn't have your experiences, so I ain't gonna ask you. Now, Felicia, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't laughing at you when you were talking. When you said what you said, it triggered. My 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 uh, subconscious pulled that off the memory bank. So I think it was, I think it was actually this uh, uh, Wednesday night, not this Wednesday, but the last class we had. It was either that night or the next day. It had to be the next day because I had came home and I 
laid down and I was in I was in between sleep and wake, not fully sleep, not fully awake. Sister J High texted me. And uh she said, Read this. Read you know, you get a kick out of it. So it's an article she sent me about Prince. <laughs> and um <laughs> I opened it up and it was something out that it, it was telling a story about the day Prince Prince heard voices. So I'm laying there and I'm reading this and in the story it says that I can't remember where the man was or whatever. He he was at his hotel. He was on the road in a hotel somewhere. Yeah, he was on the road at a hotel and uh, his business manager got a call from Prince at like I think it was like two, three o'clock in the morning. And uh, the guy telling the story said that he got concerned because it was unlike Prince to call him that early in the morning. So he figured instantly something was wrong. So he said when he picked up the phone and Prince told him, and, and I'm not going to say the words, but I, I, I'll just mimic it out for you. He, Prince told the manager, I hear mother effing voices come through walls. <laughs> So they said they hung up. Manager said he ran up, got over to the hotel, went in, and he said, you know, he could tell Prince was was nervous or whatever. So he said Prince told him, be quiet, be quiet, listen. And the manager said to his surprise, he started hearing the voice too, coming out the wall. The woman was talking through the wall. So they called the police and everything. They checked. Nobody, nobody in the room and all that. Long story short. It was a fan who had crawled into the crawl space next to his room and was reading Bible verses because she was trying to get him saved. And so she was in the wall <laughs> reading the Bible, and that's what he heard. So when you start talking about hearing the voices and you sat there talking about, <laughs> it made me think about that story about <laughs> hearing voices coming out the walls. And, they, they, and the best part of the story is when it was all over, he asked them, he said, y'all thought I was mother effing crazy, but I'm not. <laughs> he, he heard the voice coming out the wall, and come to find out it was a woman who got to the crawl space reading the Bible to him because she was trying to get him saved. So, What a way to make a person feel like they're really crazy after I share my story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I said for listen, I said, you sure they wasn't in the crawl space? <laughs> I was being funny, though. So, no, it was not in the crawl space, and I was hearing it like it was right, like I was right there with him. I got you. I got you. Now, the, the last example I'll give, and then we'll pick it up on Wednesday because this part will tie into the function of dreams. Um, behind the veil is when Moses had his experience with God. For your study, if you choose to go back and read it, we, I said we had two more scriptures, but I'll just explain it and we can, we can pick it up on Wednesday night. In Exodus chapters 33 and the first five, six verses of 34, you find the story that I'm getting ready to detail. So in your Bible, there's this story of God being displeased with the children of Israel. And he tells Moses that because of their disobedience, he's going to abandon them. Well, Moses doesn't like the idea of that. And he pleads with God to not do this because 
if you do this, the nations are going to say their gods took them out to the desert and then abandoned them, and you're going to look pretty weak there. So God and Moses have this conversation, and God tells Moses to tell people to prepare themselves for a visitation. So the, the, clear, the, the, the cloudy pillar appears at the door of the tabernacle. Moses and Joshua go to the tabernacle, and your Bible says in Exodus 33 that God speaks to Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. What it says in your Bible. Have, has everybody read that scripture before or heard, heard it quoted? That God mm-hmm. spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaketh to his friend. Now, yes. keep in mind, we just read it in the Quran. Um, and had I gave you another verse of chapter 6, you would have read that Allah says, I have given you a book in full detail. What other book or what other sunnah, that's the word used, do you want after this? But the point I want to bring out is, is out of that is this. If God was not giving you a book with all the details you humans should know. And in that book of detail that all humans should know, God makes it very clear that the only way he deals with mortals is through revelation, behind the veil, or through a prophet, not face to face. So that would now mean that to read in the Bible that Moses and God spoke face to face is conjecture. Somebody mixed a lie with the truth and added it to the story. Now, to prove the point, and this is why I said you read in your own time, back to Exodus 33, after Moses and God have this face-to-face conversation, he leaves out, Joshua stays behind, Moses goes on, and he goes to go pray by himself. In the midst of praying, Moses has this experience where God comes back and starts to talk to him. Moses cries out to God and says, let me see you. God responds and says, no one can, no man can see me and live. So question, how is it that a few verses above, God and Moses talk face to face as a man talks to his friend, but then a few verses after that, Moses says, let me see you. And God says, you can't see me because no man can see me and then live. Makes no logic now you see me, now you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll come back to that in, a, in another lesson as to what, what the discrepancy is. But then when you find this story over in the Quran, same story, but God gives you the absolute detail of what happened. And in the Quran, Moses is praying, and he's crying out to God for guidance. God inspires Moses to tell him to trust him. Don't give you the guidance you need to deliver these people from Pharaoh. Moses then asked God, let me see you. God responds the same way he responds in the Bible. No man can see you. And he says, but I'll tell you what. Stand here in front of this rock. And when I reveal myself to the rock or the mountain, if the mountain can handle it, then you'll see me. If the mountain can handle it, you'll get the point of what I mean. No man can see me and live. So the Quran goes on and says that God manifests himself to the mountain. Well, the mountain crumbles. 
Not only does the mountain crumble, but Moses passes out because of the force of whatever happened. When Moses comes to, he puts his face to the ground and declares that he now knows without a shout of a doubt that, and I'm paraphrasing these words, God ain't nothing to play with. You, matter of fact, I don't even want to see you. Uh, uh, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. So, the story of Exodus that the Bible gives you backs it up on the second part of the story that the Quran says that Moses did ask, let me see you. God does respond and says, no man can see me and live, which would explain why Allah says when I deal with mortals. So notice this whole idea of God is acting God way up in outer space somewhere, and he's too holy to, to deal with humans. So that way he, he works with intermediate angels and prophets because God's too holy to deal with us. No, that's not what God's saying. God is saying very clearly, I deal with each of you, rather by dreams, rather by revelation, or rather I send one of your own kind to you to give you my word. So I talk to you, but you will never talk to me face to face until that day comes where, where we meet it. So, so, go ahead. Question. Okay, I know we we probably gone over that bit of scripture in detail before, and probably found out that it was some added stuff. But how do how do we how are we supposed to take that? Did Moses see him face to face? If Moses was the one that that greeted him at the tree and and sat down and ate with him, right? No, no, that's Abraham. That's Abraham. Abraham. Okay, 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 okay. Hey, wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Are you agreeing that Abraham <laughs> that Abraham yeah, sat down I, with God and ate? I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. We went over that scripture and and determined that that was uh, oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. I get it. <laughs> it. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't God. It was uh, more than likely a jinn <laughs> or some a well, jinn or an angel. It, an it, angel. Yeah, I was gonna say it wasn't a jinn. And it, and and just answering with a nutshell, you must remember in the Old Testament the word God. There's two words. Translated for God in the Old Testament. One word is Eloah, which comes from the root Allah. And in, in some of the older Bible dictionaries, when you go through the, the, the definition for Eloah, it clearly states Allah. Now, what they've done now is instead of spelling A L L A H, they took that out and they just put the Arabic. Uh, letters for Allah, but but then you have to understand the average Christian going to the Bible dictionary that would look up the word Eloah and then would see Allah's name in Arabic would not have a clue that that means Allah. Make sense what I'm saying? They would see it sitting right there, but because they don't know the Arabic language or the Arabic symbol, they would not know that their Bible dictionary is saying for this word Eloah, it is your English Allah. And it's in the Bible. So so for us to say, oh, Allah is not mentioned in the Bible, yes, yes, it is. You just go 
nobody ever taught you. The second word for God in the Bible is the word Elohim. And the Elohim could either be referring to angels and then sometimes the jinn. just depends on the context of what was going on. So like the story of when Moses was called to come up to the mountain with 70 of the elders of Israel and they ate dinner with God. So yeah, you know what, Mom, you were right. Moses is, there is a scripture in the Bible about Moses eating dinner with God. Okay, okay. Abraham, Abraham had Abraham had his dinner. Moses had his dinner. So I stand corrected. There, there is a a story in the Bible about Moses and seventy other elders of Israel eating dinner with God. Um, what you need to understand, though, is it wasn't God in the sense of God, Almighty Creator, but rather God in the sense of the Elohim. So. God that Moses saw face to face was just as much as Jacob wrestling with God, but you find out that Jacob never wrestled with God. It's the word Elohim, so he wrestled with an angel, which the Bible clearly tells you that Jacob wrestled with an angel, but yet the church continues to say that Jacob wrestled with God. Because when you read the story, go ahead. The, the scripture that we're making reference to right now, is that the one connected to um, get in the cleft, cleft of the rock and I'll let you see my hind, hind part? Yes, this is it. Okay. So, see how um, confusing what, it is? I, I got a question about that. Go, go. Hold on. Hold on, Tina. I'll come back. <laughs> what would, would you say? Well, <laughs> bringing you put out the that it says uh, they 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 talk to each other face to face, and then then further down, God says you can't. I can't let you see me. No man to see me, and you know without dying. So get in the cleft of the rock. So which one is it? Um. So, so let me detail it this way. Tina, don't forget your question. Let me detail it to you this way. So in, in, in Exodus 33, you have parts of the truth of the story, but then you have added conjecture to the story. So here's the conjecture. Conjecture number one, God talks to Moses face to face as a man speaking to his friend. That's conjecture. Okay. You study it further, you find out that the people or the one that Moses saw face to face were one of the divine beings that we call angels. Okay? Okay. Issue number two, issue number two, when you read Exodus 33, what you find out is that the the, the Yahweh, call them Yahweh. Remember I told you when the Bible was retranslated or rewritten, several hands played a part in this. Some had uh, Yahweh views. Some had Canaanite views. Everybody, the Hellenistic Greek rewrote the Bible, and they had different viewpoints. So in Exodus 33, it starts off <laughs> by Jehovah commanding Moses to come and talk to him. And Jehovah appears to Moses and talks to Moses face-to-face as a man speaking to his friend. 
But then when you get down to the part where no man can see me and live, Jehovah's not mentioned. But yet it seems now that we're talking about God creator. So again, the average person that reads the Bible would not be able to distinguish those two things. That in one part of the story we're talking about Jehovah, aka Baal. Whereas the latter part of the story, Jehovah's not even talked about no more. This is now dealing with the creator. Now how do we bring it together? Because the book that Allah says I sit to clear up what they tried to twist tells us that yes, Moses did ask to see me. And yes, I did tell Moses he could not see me because he would not live. So we put those two stories together and we now know the truth. And we can weed away the conjecture from the truth. So we know in truth Moses and God had an encounter. And the encounter was so deep that Moses said, let me see you. God responds to Moses, you can't see me, but if this mountain can uphold to see me, I'll let you see me. But the mountain crumbled. So the part in your Bible about the cleft of the rock actually corresponds to the fact that God told Moses to stand in front of this rock, and if the rock stands up in my presence, then you'll see me. If the rock collapses in my presence, then you'll understand why you can't see me. And then God exposes himself to the rock. The rock crumbles and turns into dust. Moses passes out. Then when he gains consciousness, he puts his face to the ground and basically tells God, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You talk to me the way you've been talking. We are good right here. We are good right here. So does that kind of help you some with that? Yes. Yes. Okay, so again, I don't say these things to make us doubt the Bible, but I do say these things to get you to understand that this is a document that has been greatly tampered with, and it has to be studied. Even when we get down into the dream aspect of, from the Bible, there are things you're going to see that is going to cause you to ask some questions like, whoa, 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 whoa. wait, wait, what? So-and-so drip this and that, but isn't that against what? Yeah, so there's a lot of things, and this goes back to Knowledge. Okay, Tina, go ahead before you forget your question. No, you answered it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank okay. you. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, 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 so you got a chance to see exactly what I meant by conjecture. And it's right, right. in the Bible. Right. Well, we took a little bit of the truth, we added our own little spin to it, put the two together, and then we gave it back to somebody and said, this is, this, this is revelation from God. This is what God said happened. But in reality, no, God didn't say that this happened. You told a totally different story than the way God explains the story. You can see in the Bible where the version that God tells you from Quran, that is what the Bible says. But then there's fragments within that story that Allah does not bring up nor nor admit to. And then, then like I just said, the story itself in the Bible contradicts itself when a few verses later when Moses says, let me see you, and God says, you can't see me and live. But we just read three or four verses above that Moses and God spoke face to face. So that's 
what makes no logical sense how you let me see you one minute and now you're going to be an Indian giver and say, I can't see you. Right. So, so in this, in this, this week, Wednesday, Friday, we'll be dealing with the aspect of the dream, the knowledge that you need to have dreams. So let me ask this question and we close. Sister Samaya, I'll ask this to you. If I told you I had a dream about Prophet Muhammad, how would you be able to determine if my dream was from the devil, myself, or directly from God? The Quran. But what aspect? That it would bear witness to whatever's being said. Okay, okay. Now, it goes a little bit deeper than that. So, like, for instance, if a person was to ever tell me I had a dream about Muhammad and he said this and that, I'll listen and I will ask the person one question. What did he look like? And if the person wasn't be able to successfully describe the prophet to me, then I would know right off the rip, you're lying. You are you are outright lying. Or either you are deceived. Why? Because God gave us knowledge that if anyone ever dreamt about the prophet, that we would never see his face. We would always either see his backside or if we saw his front, his face would be faded away. That's knowledge that God has given mankind about dreams about the prophet. When the prophet comes to give you guidance in a dream, you won't see you won't see him directly. Now, for me, I only had two dreams. Go ahead, go ahead. I didn't have that knowledge, though. I got you. I got you. Mm-hmm. I got you. And I, I, I asked it on purpose just to show what I meant by if we don't have proper knowledge about dreams and the way God describes this to us, we'll have dreams that God is talking to us, and we won't be able to discern it because we would just think it was just a regular old dream. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, uh, out of my walk within this past, I've only tripped up prophet two times. The first time it ever happened, and this is how I found out about this knowledge. First time it happened, I went to the imam of the mosque, and I was, me and him were talking one day, and I elaborated to him about this wild dream that I had that Prophet Muhammad came to see me, and he talked directly to me and told me some instructions that God told him to tell me. And the first question the imam asked me, i never forget, he linked, because when I brought up the dream, he sat up straight in his chair. And he said, you know, many of us don't get the chance to experience Prophet Muhammad in our dreams. And he said, but for one that does, you are a blessed person. He said, what did he look like? And I told the man, I said, that's the thing. I said, I never saw him. I said, because the whole time he talked to me, he had his back to me. And the man's face turned bloodshot red, and he started crying. And then he began to point out scriptures to me, and he explained to me what he was crying for. And that's how I figured out from, from this point of view that if you dream about this man, this is how it's going to happen. If you say you saw him, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Sister Jihad, uh, if you have a dream that a tree fell on you, and pins you down. What does that dream mean? How not 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 not, not what not what does it mean? What would you do? What would you do with such a dream like that? 
Um, I would go pull out my dream book and look up the word tree. The the tree represents. And if the dream book couldn't answer you, what would you do? (laughs) Sometimes it goes into into detail as to uh, what kind of tree or if you see the tree leaning or, you know, stuff like that. But um, that would be the first thing to come to my mind. Okay. And if the dream book could what I would do. Right. right. If the dream dream book could not successfully answer your question, what would you do next? Pray and ask God to give me uh, uh, clarification. You've been talking to your son too much. No, I'll play it. I'll play it. No, the reason I I asked her and I'm being funny is we are taught by the knowledge of Allah that when we have bad dreams, not to talk about them, but to go to Allah about it and talk to Allah about it. Because bad dreams a lot of times come from the gym. And what they're trying to do is get you to talk about it so by your words you, they can manifest what they put in your thoughts to become a reality. So you don't talk about it. You don't bring it up. You don't say, last night I had a dream that two men walked up on me and tried to rob me and then they shot me. Something like that, no, I won't talk about it. I'll go to a lie about it. Now, if a lie says go and talk about it, then that's a different story. But, again, this is the knowledge of what I mean, knowledge of dreams and visions that God has left for us because he gives guidance through dreams, and therefore he didn't just tell us, I'll guide you in dreams, and then not give us guidelines on how to determine if our dream is from ourselves if our dreams are from the devil, if our dreams are directly from divine inspiration. He gave us, I won't call it the rule book, but the guidelines on how to determine these things. And that's what I mean by we have to have that knowledge. Because we don't, you could have a direct message from Allah in a dream, and you would never realize that you talk directly to Allah through a dream because it wasn't, Elaborate lights and UFOs and thrones and angels and white robes and you'll miss it. So, all right, we'll stop there for today and 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 we'll pick it up Wednesday. Pleasure, our Foxy and Matt Cool. They being good. Oh yeah, yes, they done got back to their normal routine. First, you know, coming back from vacation, they was all over me, but. Or trying to be, but they're they're back to normal now. I got them back on routine. So. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. And then you all, Sister Jahan, uh, had her uh, birthday this past week, so she's 12 years old again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy belated birthday. birthday. Thank yeah. you. Did nobody sing mm-hmm. last week? I, it, you know what? I completely. I've, I've, no, we, we, we didn't last week. We did. Um, it was, but I it was just two days ago. It was the twentieth. Oh well, see, it's time to do the happy birthday song. Happy birthday to. Hey. Happy birthday <laughs> to you. 
Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. I'm sorry that I leave everybody out. Which version did y'all want to do? Because, you know, we always got to do two. It's the happy birthday version, and then it's because I, I have to learn Sister J. High's birthday song. That was beautiful, but she'll teach me one day. But in the meantime, if someone else come out with their version. Come on. Oh, that was, that, that was good. That was good, though. Love you, too. Inshallah. Love you, love. All right. Love you, love. 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 Love you, love.